frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Really? Yeah. That's like a cult classic. Yeah, it fucking sucks. So what else do you have? Oh, actually, I have another movie that I I don't think I mentioned, but I'll I'll wait. Well, this is going to kind of connect to the Marx Brothers, and I don't know if this also falls into... I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I believe you've seen a film by this director, and I don't think you liked it. And, okay. Uh, it's Woody Allen. Because yes. you didn't like Annie Hall, right? Uh, or you were kind of... I did not like it. Uh-huh. I think I just was underwhelmed, maybe. Underwhelmed. Let me see what I rated it. I mean, I only watched it for the first time like a couple of years ago, right. I think. I mean, I rated it three and a half. Okay, okay. Um, so I misremembered this. Maybe I was thinking of Duck Soup. But um, Annie Hall is not the film on my hate list, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured, yeah. I love Annie Hall. Um, yeah, okay. I bring it up because Woody Allen is pretty heavily influenced by uh, the Marx Brothers. Groucho in particular, I think he even says that at the beginning of Annie Hall. He says, like, quotes Groucho Marx at the beginning of that movie. Yeah. Um, being a Woody Allen fan in 2023 is a, is a, is a sensitive area. It's a, precar- it's a precarious thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a certain element of his style that's very Jewish mid 20th century that I love. Yeah. And that's why a lot of his films I enjoy, but he's made a film every year, basically for 40 or 50 years or something like that. 50 years, I think. So there are a lot of duds in there. Yeah. Those don't bother me. He goes through, he went through periods where he's like, oh, he's, he's making a few good movies. And then there's a down period. And then there's a couple more good ones. And then there's a kind of a down period. But what I, the film that I hate in his filmography is actually his first credit as a director, which is a movie called What's Up Tiger Lily. And the reason I hate it is, is it's actually, it's, it's basically he took a, Japanese spy film called International Secret Police, Key of Keys, and dubbed it in English with a comedic script that is not actually, like, obviously, it's not a proper translation. Um, (laughs) That's not a good idea. I, I think the reason I hate it is that it's just like, I know, I have seen most of his films. I know what he's capable of as a comedian and I know like when he sucks, like when his jokes don't land or his stuff isn't funny. This is even worse than that. It's just frustrating to me because it's, um, it's almost like, why would you lower yourself to make this crap when you are a funny comedian? You are a funny guy. You're a funny writer. And, and it's like this weird, 
Because right after that, he starts making his signature comedies, and they're great. Yeah. And um, it's basically like the only Woody Allen film. It, it, I think hatred for it is more of like a, uh, if you're like uh, anal about your uh, letterboxed lists and that sort of thing. Yeah, then it's like, what what is this? Yeah, it's just, it's not like anything else he's done. Thank God. Um, It's just, it's just like a a very confusing low point for a guy uh, who, to me, is a very funny comedian. And a very good filmmaker. Yeah, I haven't, I mean, Woody Allen... Like you said, he's controversial, and his filmography is just so dense that I'm like, do I even need to get into this? Well, and it's it's interesting because he repeats himself a lot, too. Yeah. Um, but what's fascinating is sometimes he repeats himself, and like both movies will be good. Like, really. Like, <laughs> uh, he did a movie in the 80s called Crimes and Misdemeanors. And then in the early 2000s, he did a movie called Matchpoint. Now, they're they're plenty different, but like the kind of like a core plot element is the same. To the point where if you're if you're watching one and you know about the other, you're like, wait a minute, he did this already. But they're both really good. <laughs> they're both well. Yeah. They're both. Um, I'm not gonna say they're both funny because Matchpoint is not a comedy. Um. But uh, both well-directed films, great cast in both films. So, you know, I, I guess when someone is working that frequently, they do run out of ideas or they re- they're bound to repeat themselves. But yeah, uh, diving into his filmography is a project. And if, yeah, exactly. And if you're yeah. not like tuned in to his style of comedy... If it's not for you, I mean, it might be for me. I don't know, but it's like I got other projects. Yeah, you know. He he's also directed a a number of great dramas. So, yeah. If his comedy doesn't work for you, I'm. I'll probably attempt to to watch more of his films at some point, but I'm I'm in no rush. If if you uh, I would recommend, the Purple Rose of Cairo. I have heard of that. <laughs> uh, it is set in the Depression. It's about a, a woman who uh, goes to the movies every day, and she keeps seeing this movie called The Purple Rose of Cairo. And one day, one of the characters in the film, the main character, looks directly at the screen and says, I've got to, you come here. He starts talking to her. And he leaves the movie. And he's uh, like, I, I see you every day, and I, 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 now I can't stop looking at you. Like, and it's a romance between her and the character who walked out of the movie. Woody, oh, Woody Allen is not in it. If his appearance or his voice bothers you, which some people, I know, <laughs> some people just can't watch his movies if he's in it. Yeah. Um, but it's a very sweet, and it's clever, and... Uh, it's about movies. Um, yeah. So if, if you ever, 
have an opportunity. Start with that one. That would be my recommendation of where to go next. Cool. Um. Okay. Uh, how many more films do you have on your list? <laughs> um. A few, but like two of them are really like the only ones that I maybe actually need to talk about. Two? Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, well, I got one more. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you do your two. So I, I don't think I talked, I don't, I don't think I talked about this yet. Um, it's a Clint Eastwood film. Okay. Uh, directed or yeah okay directed million dollar baby oh okay terrible movie (laughs) (laughs) um now i came out to this this movie very late yeah um and i mean it, it did it what did it it won four oscars yes best picture best director best actress and uh supporting actor for morgan Freeman. it's a best picture winner what i don't what this movie is terrible (laughs) it's so bad (laughs) did not age well at all um the representation of all of the characters are awful and it's got great actors in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hilary Swank is, is an amazing actress. Clint Eastwood is a badass. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Um, Gabe, uh, not Gabe, Jay Burrishell, as I say. Oh, name. yeah, yeah. I forgot he was. He, yeah, he's really he's in too. It. Anthony Mackie is in it. Um they're all like caricatures of like some idea that Clint Eastwood has of what people are like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's weird because I remember when this movie came out, it came out in 2004. Yeah. I was heavily into uh, listening to the, the Christian radio channels. Okay. And, um, gosh, that was probably around the same time. The passion of the Christ came out too. Uh, yeah. I think it was 2004. Yeah. Mel Gibson was, was also, uh, heavily featured on those Christian radio channels. Gotcha. Being interviewed by Dr. Dobson and people like that. Um, but there was, <coughs> there was a huge, campaign against this movie from the christian community yes so i'm surprised that by the time i got to i only watched this like a couple of years ago i'm surprised by the time i got to it that i didn't like it Mm -hmm. because simply for the fact that like usually i'm gonna like a movie that you know well and your but your reasons for disliking it are not the same no, they're not. You're, they're not because the the reason the the the, the Christian community was heavily against this right. film was because um, it involved uh, it's a youth letting a right she yeah letting someone who with a disability die right um and 
But yeah, that's not the reason I didn't right, like right, the movie. Right. I mean, I don't even remember what I thought about that part of the movie. <laughs> what don't you, don't you <laughs> love it when you're like, everybody hates this, but they hate it for the wrong reason? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's just you're... terribly made. <laughs> it's just terribly made, and then like, like the representation of like, like Margot Martindale plays her mom, right. and she's like on welfare. Mm-hmm. And she's just like this sleaze bag that just like she just she's on welfare because you know she's taking advantage of the system, right? Right. You know, it's like okay, not everybody on welfare is like that. They, you know, yeah. there's a lot of people on welfare that need to be on welfare because they're fucking poor, right? <laughs> and so that part is super cringy. Margot Martindale is amazing, but um, <laughs> but then also at the end of the movie when she fights, she fights like a the the person who injures her is like this um she's like a Mexican fighter or something, mm-hmm. and she's like she was like a prostitute. She's like from the streets. And then she like just she she does like a illegal like you know like out of the round like punch or something that you know injures her or something and it's like she's like one of the few like people of color in the movie and it's like oh yeah they're like people of color they just you know they're gonna stab you in the back and do whatever they gotta do. Um, <laughs> So I, I think a lot of the points you're bringing up are interesting because uh, the guy who wrote the screenplay uh, to Million Dollar Baby is Paul Haggis, who wrote and directed the film Crash. Not the good Crash, yeah. movies, but 2004, 2005 Crash, okay. which is also a film where every character is a stereotype. Especially if, if they're a person of color, they are a racial stereotype if they're a person of color. Yeah. Um, so there may be something there with his his writing may be a uh, a big part of the of the problem uh with the film. Potentially, yeah. I mean it just I mean it's got a lot of good actors in it, even Anthony Mackie, but like Anthony Mackie is He's like a he, bully or something, right? Yeah, and he's not. He, his character is just like it. Just feels uh, fake. It just feels like so stale and like it's the same thing. Like we were talking about with Fireproof. Yeah, where like in what world does this character exist? This is not a real person. Right. Who are you trying to represent here? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So I was just cringing through the whole movie. Um, And Jay Baruchel, I think he has like a super country accent and it's so bad to me. I mean, you said he was great, but I was like, like, and again, I came at this movie. I came at this movie a few years ago. This came out in 2004. And, and to me, it just did not age well Uh at all. And this is a best picture winner. Yeah, but to me, it's just so disconnected from reality. It, it it's it's kind of preaching at you, to me. Like it's it's just like, 
No. So I can't say that's... I can't say I have a strong defense of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I remember liking it. <laughs> yeah. Um it's not my favorite Clint Eastwood film. Uh, uh but um I, I my memory of it is uh I, yeah, I thought it was good. <laughs> and but yeah. but but my uh kind of like how we were saying at the beginning, um, you know. Hating a film is different from not liking a film, right? Exactly. And in the same sense, I think liking a film and loving a film are very different because the films you love are movies that you think about and you you want to keep rewatching them. A film you like is a movie that you maybe see once or twice and you're like, yeah, I enjoyed that. And then you don't think about it anymore. (laughs) And that's maybe where uh, Million Dollar Baby sits on the spectrum for me. it was a movie that I remember liking, but I haven't put much thought to it since. Yeah. I, again, I saw, I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I've probably seen it twice since then. I mean, that's 20 years, but, it, you know, the last time I watched it was probably like five or six years ago. Yeah. Wow, 20 years. That's crazy. <laughs> a lot has changed. Yes. For one thing, Anthony Mackie is now Captain America. He is now Captain America. An interesting factoid about the Oscars, the year of Million Dollar Baby. And because Clint Eastwood has twice won Best Picture and Best Director. He won for Unforgiven. And he won for Million Dollar Baby. Those are also the only two films where he ever got acting nominations. He got Best Actor nominations for both, but he didn't win Best Actor. Huh. In both those years, Best Actor went to somebody playing a blind person. (laughs) (laughs) The Year of Unforgiven. Um. That had been that had been Ray. Uh, the, the year of Million Dollar. No, 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 no. Million Dollar Baby had to be Ray. Ray. Un- what year was Unforgiven? Let me see if Nin- I can guess. Ninety two, which is Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. I would not have thought of that. Um, and I think both movies also both. Uh, oh the, no! Here's the other weird thing because I was like, there's more to it. So. In both, you know these weird facts. In both years, you're like a mathematician of film. In both years, the Clint Eastwood movie won Best Supporting Actor. Gene Hackman won it for Unforgiven, and uh, Morgan Freeman won it for Million Dollar Baby. Right, but in both years, the Best Actor winner was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for a different movie. Amy oh. Fox was nominated for supporting actor for Collateral that year as well. And Al Pacino was nominated for supporting actor for Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is just the weirdest thing. That's like the weirdest set of circumstances that could happen twice. <laughs> That is uh, that is proof that there is uh, film gods yes. out there. <laughs> oh, and in both cases, the Clint Eastwood movie that won Best Picture did not win for screenplay. So, 
Paul Haggis's screenplay did not get him an Oscar. But they were, but both were nominated. But they were both nominated. That is crazy. Weird. We're living weird, in the Twilight Zone. Weird, wild stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie is so bad. I I have a I have it on DVD. I can't remember. I think I got it in like a mm, either a five dollar bin or it might have been like an estate sale or it was something. It was something where I like I just got a bunch of movies mm-hmm. and uh, and then finally watched it a few years ago. And my uh, letterboxed review was yikes. <laughs> half a star <laughs> um, yeah but it also might be one of those uh, good bad movies you know I could I could watch this and laugh at it like like for one thing it's got really great actors in it that are giving to me giving terrible performances <laughs> that is funny to me you know yeah. just to like laugh at that um but anyway, because I mean, because I mean, Anthony Mackie like plays this small role that's like, you know, and now he's like Captain America, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. That's it for me on Million Dollar Baby. We can put that baby to bed. <laughs> um, so I, I do have two more, but I could cut one of them if you're like, let's just do one more or. We can do two more. That's what we can turn this into three episodes. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, give our priest a little more time. Yeah, sure. He he comes back from the dead and he's like, "What is all of this sacrilege?" Maybe I wonder if because I wonder if Lewis likes this next movie. Um, okay, so the. The next one is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner from 1967. Um, really? Yeah, I hate this movie um, because... This has been on my list for a while. I have not seen it. Have you seen In the Heat of the Night? I have seen In the Heat of the Night. I was going to say, if you're going to watch a movie from 1967 starring Sidney Poitier that's about racism in America, you just rewatch In the Heat of the Night. Um <laughs> But go ahead and see Guess Who's Coming to Dinner if you want. Um, I think it just kind of boils down to the film feeling like uh, a movie by, about, and for older white liberals patting themselves on the back for... um, All the progress they've made. For not being racist. Um, (laughs) The premise is that uh, the daughter of... uh, a white woman, she's got these, I think, I, I don't even, I don't even remember what the parents are, do, but there's Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, who were real-life partners, and it was Tracy's last film, which I think is one of the reasons why its legacy has kind of stayed around, because it was his last movie. And she's engaged to Sidney Poitier, and like, I know that uh, back in the late 60s, a lot of black audiences were like upset with the way Hollywood used Sidney Poitier because he always 
had to play these perfect characters. Because even in like In the Heat of the Night, which is the better film, that movie kind of implies that like he's he's a well-respected detective where he comes from. He ends up in yeah. a place where he's not, but he um but the racist white people in that movie are sort of forced to work with him. Um, and in this one, it's like Portier's character is designed to be unhateable so that the only reason a person would object to this, uh, if someone objects to this marriage, the only reason has to be because he's black. He's like this perfect doctor character. Um, maybe he's like a Rhodes Scholar. I don't remember the, the details. But it, it, the, the movie is setting up this conundrum where if you don't accept this, then you are a racist. And, and it's kind of, uh, again, like lecturing an audience where, um, you know, you might think you're progressive, but actually uh, we are testing your limits um, you, of you old white people. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of like the gist of it. It's, it's, it's very, um, there's a period in the 60s where movies still feel like they're being made in the 50s like stylistically. And I think that this kind of falls into that. And the release year of this is also significant because 67 is like the start of new Hollywood. So it's the year of the graduate. It's the year of Bonnie and Clyde. It's the year of in the heat of the night. Um, And so it's a movie that on arrival feels like it's already a few years behind. Yeah. Um, but it's held in this, you know, sort of high esteem. But I think that, like, it's it uh, ultimately is kind of like a self-congratulatory film for, um, like, older white liberals of, like, a certain stripe. Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of like it, it, you know, gives... Um, gives or gave uh, older white people the freedom to be still racist if a black person was not uh, well off. Right. Um, I mean, I've heard white people in recent years say things like, yeah, you can date a black person as long as they've got a good job. Or, or well-spoken. That's a... Yeah, that's an expression. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I so like, hate hearing. You know, if it was a white person without a good job, you'd be fine with right. it. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. So yeah, I mean, guess who's coming to dinner? To me, it's it's one of those movies that you're gonna obviously find it on plenty of greatest film lists. Probably more uh, American centric lists, though. Like, yeah, uh, what's the a- AFI? Is that the one America, yeah, AFI, American Film Institute, yeah. I, like, is I this? There's no way that it's on the sight and sound. Like, it, it, this is a movie that I don't think would be is is as regarded outside of the U.S. as it is. Here. Yeah, and I, I do think a lot of a lot of its like um, uh, success is due to 
Catherine Hepburn and uh, uh, Spencer Tracy being in it, it being their last film together, and it being Spencer Tracy's final film. So I think like 20, 30 years from now, you're going to stop seeing it showing up on on lists because its relevancy is just... I mean, to me, it, it was irrelevant probably the year it came out. It came out, yeah. <laughs> but, um, it doesn't have that Hollywood legacy stuff anymore. Yeah. And it's just, it's the lesser of the two uh, Poitiers uh, interracial films of 1967. He gets to slap a racist guy in uh, in, the <laughs> in, in the heat of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been a couple of years since I watched that, but yeah, and it still was like not as progressive as i think i wanted it to be when i saw it yeah. in the heat of the night in the, but in the heat of the night is a film that um is sort of like halfway there yeah um yeah. but the stuff that's like over the the right half is 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 pretty good yeah um, yeah but it's also uh, uh going back to like oscar trivia it's astounding to me that sydney Poitier wasn't nominated that year at all for either one. For either one. The uh, the white guys in both films were nominated. And Rod Steiger, the the police, uh, the white police officer in, in The Heat of the Night, won Best Actor that year. Um, but no nomination for Poitier. Even though I think he's he was the highest box office star of that year. <laughs> he, he might have had another movie that year, actually. That is crazy. Yeah. Is Poitier good in it? Um, I can't remember. I'm sure he is. He's always good. I don't like Spencer Tracy. Um, so maybe I also like have some bias against him as an actor. Yeah. I got to look him up. I don't even know if I know who that is. You probably recognize his face. You probably recognize his face, even if you've never seen one of his movies, because he's, he's probably, you've probably seen montages that at the very least have had him crop up in there. Yeah. He had another movie in 67 to Sir with love. Poitier. Spencer Tracy? Uh, Sidney Poitier. He had oh. three films in 67. To Sir With Love, In the Heat of the Night, and uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. He was the box office, the highest grossing actor that year. Well, I'm sure being in three movies helped, but... Yeah, I mean... I mean he's also three, a good actor. Um, and, but there are three movies that people went to go see, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um... I think that's all I have to say about In the Heat of the Night. So what's your last one? So my last one might be the movie that I actually really do hate the most. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and we're coming back up a little bit. We're going to 1999. And the movie is The Boondock Saints. Really? Yeah. That's like a cult classic. Yeah, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> You don't like um, Willem Dafoe? I, 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 I love Willem Dafoe. I hesitate to say that he's the best thing in that movie. I think his character is so horribly written um, that I guess he's doing the best he can. <laughs> <laughs> With the material. Yeah. I, I can't believe this movie is this old. Um. And I don't feel bad talking shit about the Boondock Saints because I don't think the director uh, is getting work. <laughs> but I mean, there's a sequel. 
That I, did the director not direct? No, the sequel? he did. I think that's the only other film he's made. Um, there's a there's really there's a documentary about the making of this film called Overnight, which is a, a pretty good watch. Um, but the Boondock Saints to, uh, kind of uh, it in the nineties. Everybody in Hollywood, the the studios were all trying to, like, find the next Tarantino. That was a big thing. And I well, this isn't the nineties yet. What the Boondock Saints? The Boondock Saints. It's ninety nine. Oh, I thought you said eighty nine. I was like, okay, that makes more sense. I was like, I can't believe this movie uh, is this old. <laughs> no, nineteen ninety nine. Ninety. That makes way more sense. Um, okay. Everyone, uh, the studios were all looking for that next Tarantino. And people were trying to capitalize on Tarantino-esque stuff. Yeah. Um, And I I don't want to say that the uh, writer-director of this film was attempting to do that. But I I believe that he got, because basically the script got bought by Harvey Weinstein and like was fast-tracked into production. And uh, the the writer director of the film was like a bartender. How he got a script into Weinstein's hands, I don't know, but like Harvey Weinstein then bought the bar um, that he that he worked at, um, and I don't know if it was like so that he then he could become the owner. Troy Duffy, the director, I, it's very weird. But he was basically treated like like this golden boy, like the next big thing, whatever. Um, Weinstein saw in the script, I do think, was kind of like a the, this is the next. I I I found Kevin Smith. I found Tarantino. Now I found this guy. Yeah. Um. And oh, my voice is going. Boondock Saints three in pre-production. How long has it been in pre-production? I don't know. <laughs> like ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's only directed those two movies. Boondock Saints, 1999. Boondock Saints 2, 2009. Ah, he missed number three, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> he missed his chance. Of course, that was, I guess, you know, if Weinstein hadn't gone to prison, maybe he would have gotten Well, no, uh, Weinstein dropped him. <laughs> oh. Like mid-production. Oh, yeah. of this movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's see. Miramax won the bidding war. Uh, <laughs> Weinstein was like, uh, "I fucked up." I'm not. I'm not entirely. I don't remember entirely what ha- think what happened, but basically, he was given like the keys to the kingdom. Like you're the new golden boy, and he he basically pissed everybody off in the process. And so all of the the executives and producers who were behind the film were like, "We need to abandon the ship." So like another studio uh, comes in and, and helps, you know, actually gets the film financed much lower budget than what it was originally supposed to have. Um, and I think it was like released in one theater for like a, only a couple of days and then just dropped. So it was like intentionally buried by the distributors. And a lot of times when that happens, you find like diamonds in the rough, right? Like idiocracy right. or something like that. I just, 
I, I fucking hate this movie. Like the script <laughs> is annoying to me. It's very edgelordy. Like the Rocco character is just one of the, it, I don't like using this, this critique, but it really does feel like something written by a 14 year old boy. And <laughs> like, like, you know, the scene in Pulp Fiction where Vince shoots Marvin in the face. Yeah. You've seen the Boondock Saints, right? I mean, yeah, it's been. Okay. I mean, it's been. I mean, I probably watched it in like mid 2000s before the second. Do you remember the part where a character accidentally shoots a cat? Honestly, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a moment in this film, which I believe is the I shot Marvin in the face moment, where a character, like, there's a cat in the background and, and the characters are talking. I think it's the Rocco character. And he, like, slams his hand down and it causes the gun to fire and just like fur and blood splatter on the, the, the wall. And it, it, it just, it, it's so dumb. Yeah. It's so stupid. The characters are horribly written. I also think the, the film is like badly shot. Like the editing and the shit, the, 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 the way it's shot is very, very amateurish. And, um, not befitting of a fifteen million dollar budget for Mirabax. Fifteen million dollars. The original budget. It wasn't actually made for that much. Okay. That was the original budget, and then Miramax dropped it, and uh, somebody else came in, and I don't know how much money they actually made it for. Six million is the the finished budget. That makes more sense. God, even Billy Conley's in this. He's great. His character is like their father and he's like chained up because he's so dangerous. <laughs> I, it, it's been a long time since I watched this movie. I remember it just being like, you know, I didn't hate it or anything, but it was just like, it was one of those like, this is a cult classic yeah. and then you watch it and it's like, I guess I get, get why you thought this was a cult classic. Maybe I would think it was a cult classic if I had seen it when I was nine years old. It is a really good movie when you are a teenage boy. Yeah. Um, the And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, it's also a movie that I think gets worse as you get older. When you, when you distance yourself from your teenage boyhood and you realize that it wasn't just a movie made for teenage boys. It was a movie that feels like it was made by teenage boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very of that. Um, I don't know that indie, indie, uh, amateur film, uh, late nineties, early two thousands VHS mini DV. Right. You had to have, uh, guys in suits with guns. Uh-huh. That was the cool factor, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I honestly, I like. I mean, I got. I, I'd have to rewatch this <laughs> to kind of give my full opinion on it. Yeah. But I mean, I I like amateur movies. That you know, yes. I I I made my first movie in two thousand two. <laughs> like, like all like, I was I was just talking with Lewis in our top 10 favorite movies of all time, uh, 
episodes of Film Church. Yeah. Uh, like, there's a movie that I go back to frequently mm-hmm. called The Formula. Yeah. And it's like a Star Wars fan film. Yeah, yeah. And it's like 50 minutes long. Yeah. And I love it, yeah. you know? And it's just about these guys that work in a comic book store. Um, but But there's heart in it, you know? It's like it's I think the thing is like it seems like Hollywood or or you know new Hollywood is trying to get away from like auteur cinema. Yeah. But like when a film is made by a piece of shit person and and I mean I'm not saying that you know that Troy Duffy is a piece of shit. I have no idea who this person is. Right. You know, but we all know Harvey Weinstein is a piece of shit. Yeah. And if Harvey Weinstein is like, oh, this is the next, this guy is the guy, you know, um, the guy might be a piece of shit. He's only made two movies, you know, there might be a reason for that. Like, he probably didn't treat anybody well. I don't know. I don't know the guy. Don't go attacking him just because I said that. But, like, I think the, the, I, my point is, films are auteur pieces of work sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes they're not you know i don't think the godfather is an auteur piece of work it's a it's a studio made film that um is a miracle Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it is so good uh you know but some films are auteur pieces of work and when uh an auteur is a piece of shit you can tell yeah i mean I didn't like this movie. I I first uh, this movie first crossed my path when I was in probably a, like a high school freshman or something like that. And one of the things that I had a problem with when I was younger, when I was that age, is there were a lot of times where I liked a movie that I found myself being the only one who liked it, and so I hid that. I uh. I would hide that I liked it. But the opposite would also happen, where I didn't like a movie, but everyone else loved it. And so if I needed to, I would be, I would sort of, I wasn't like going around brandishing my love of the Boondock Saints, but like I would rewatch it to try and figure out why I didn't like it when all my friends did, you know? Yeah. And I think that, again, like you say, Nobody wants to, we don't want to call anybody a piece of shit. But when I, <laughs> Even when, though I already did. <laughs> when I saw the documentary overnight, I felt like, I, I was like, okay, I think I understand why I don't like this movie. I think that the this stuff that happened behind the scenes actually comes through in the movie. It's like something that's tangible in there that I can feel. Yeah. And it just soured me on the movie completely. If I have to say one nice thing about the Boondock Saints, it does pertain to Willem Dafoe. And it's the scene where he maybe does this a couple of times, but his character is like this FBI agent who has an uncanny ability to look at a scene and figure out exactly what happened. Like he can, he, he spots every little detail and they do a thing where you don't see the shootout happen, but you see Willem Dafoe arrive on the scene. And then as he's describing what, 
like what happened based on what he sees. He he is suddenly put into like a recreation of the actual shootout or whatever. So like they show the action scene, but Willem Dafoe is there and he's he's pretending he has guns. And he's like, they were shooting. Uh. Like, you know, and I would say conceptually, I'm like, okay, there's something clever in that. Maybe I don't love the execution. Maybe I don't love the performance because of the way the character is written. But th- there's a clever idea there. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's a very nice thing about it. It just wasn't fully cooked. You know? Yes. Interesting. The, I mean, this is a movie that I will probably go back to. I, I'm 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 curious. I would totally pair <laughs> it with with Overnight. You can probably find Overnight online pretty easily. Yeah. Um. But like you say, this is a cult classic. This is a movie that that was in theaters for four days. So how did this become a hit? Because D- yeah, that's kind of D- crazy. DVD man at the time. DVD was the late nineties and the, and the early two thousands saw a lot of movies become hits on DVD. It, it's, it's kind of the same phenomenon now where there'll be some just schlocky action film from a few years ago and it goes up on Netflix and Netflix uses a picture of Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson or whatever for the, for the little thumbnail and people go, oh, I love Bruce Willis. I love Mel Gibson. They watch it. And suddenly some like shitty movie from like 10 years ago that nobody saw in the, at the theaters is in Netflix's top 10 because everyone is watching it. Yeah. And, it's, and suddenly the movie has a new life. I'm not congratulating Netflix on that. That's not. <laughs> but, Good but, job, but the, guys. But the phenomenon that happened at the video store does occasionally still happen in the streaming world like occasionally but yeah home video was basically the reason the reason this movie has a sequel is because it made all its money on dvd yeah it, that's crazy a movie that was in the cinemas for four days got a sequel only 10 years later that was also a pretty big time i think of like the rise of um fan culture online like get, yeah. getting a lot of like momentum yeah. where there was enough online fan base of the first movie to generate interest where like the director could reasonably go around and, and find financing for this for a sequel well i mean it also i'm sure helped norman Reedus's career a lot um yeah I mean, yeah, it's like it, the Boondock Saints and the Boondock Saints 2 both came out before <clears throat> The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I'm sure his fan base was maybe a big reason that his character stuck around on The Walking Dead, too. Yeah. Because he wasn't a character that uh, was from the comic book. No. And he basically, like, became like the co-lead of the show yeah exactly yeah i mean he's been in the whole thing 174 episodes oh, is, he getting, is he getting his own series 
I would I would think so. I mean they I mean they're talking about doing all these spin-offs. Like I would think they would do his own. He's also in Blade 2, Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. I have not watched any piece of Walking Dead media since like season 3 of the first show. <laughs> yeah. I mean it just it's it's such a hard show to watch. I I I I keep trying to get through it but I mean, that show is a show that I just, I'll watch a few episodes and be like, God, am I going to keep going? And then I'll wait a couple of years and try to keep going. And then I eventually just, it's been probably three or four years since I've tried again. I mean, I guess I, I guess the season three was 2013. So I have not watched a show in 10 years. I stopped after season three. I don't even know if I finished season three. You know, what's a from my experience from watching the first three seasons of that show is a, is a very rare phenomenon. Of those three seasons, I still think the best episode is the pilot. Mm. And yeah. Usually. Pilots for me are like, if I watch a whole show and then I go back and watch the pilot, I'm like, oh. Like, you know, you get like the, the enough things change where when you go back to the pilot, you're like, how did, like, <laughs> yeah. how did they get from this to that? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Pilots usually don't have like rewatchability in my mind. Um, there are exceptions to that, but, but I think a lot of times like the show, once the show finds its uh, footing, you get used to that and that becomes like the bulk of the show. Yeah. Um, the pilot of of uh, of The Walking Dead is like a great horror film, and it was directed by David uh, Frank Darabont. Um, yeah, who's a good mm-hmm. filmmaker. So I like uh, that's just interesting to me. I, I guess I can't speak for the whole series because I stopped watching it, but I, I still like. I'll watch that pilot again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You have you seen Lost? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pilot i, I have it's like I, a two-hour pilot I, I, though I, I i don't know if i've seen the pilot i think i've seen like the opening scene yeah the plane crash like yeah the, the, after, right after the plane crash for i think that's all i've seen yeah i mean that's how the movie i mean the show opens yeah um but yeah that's a that's a good pilot my dad, uh, I remember my dad was excited about that show. Mm-hmm. And he watched the pilot because he thought it was going to be like a Lord of the Flies. Uh, and then, like the yeah. moment it became clear that this is like a science fiction show, my dad was like, nah, I'm not watching this. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, we've talked a lot of trash. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've crapped on a lot of movies. Um, let me just read you the uh, lowest rated movies on IMDb real quick. We got Disaster Movie 2008. Never saw it. Not going to. <laughs> Manos, The Hand of Fate, 1966. I've, I've never seen Manos, The Hands of Fate, but I hear it's a fun movie to watch. Okay, yeah. Lowest rated one. Um, 
Bird Birdemic, Shock and Terror, 2010. Could not finish. Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2. Did not know they made a sequel. <laughs> Did you saw the first one? I've never seen the first one. I think I, I've seen both. I am aware of the first one. Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2. That came out in 2004. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen both, but that was because of Blockbuster. Yeah, I've never seen even the first one. That would be a great movie to watch. Baby. To just... Huh? Yeah. Just, I mean... 2004? Like, a movie that's like... <laughs> about... Uh, spy babies and uh, their mouths are CGI'd with animation from 2004. That doesn't sound amazing to you. <laughs> I might not be drinking the right like <laughs> substance right now to that. <laughs> Even just like as a thought experiment. <laughs> it's about babies who um <laughs> the babies wait did you say you've seen the first one Mm-mm. okay no. the babies have baby speak right like in real life they have baby like they're like goo goo gaga but they're speaking their own language yeah, okay and they're super intelligent beings <laughs> and they basically they, they run the world or like do people no they're so- they're like they're like spy babies so like but like, is it all babies are like that, or is this a select group? No, it's like all babies are so, like that. So, like, the premise is humans actually like get stupider as we get older. Yes, like because we lose baby speak, <laughs> we become less intelligent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> uh. I mean, that's what I remember. I have not watched this movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. these movies since they came out. Gotcha. <laughs> um, number five is The Hottie and the Naughty. Never seen From that. 2008. Yeah, I don't Paris, even Paris. know what that is. It's got Paris Hilton in it, I think. Oh, okay. Um, number six, lowest rated movie on IMDb is Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. From 2014. I, I I have not seen that, but I do want to see it. <laughs> Just a laugh? Yes. Or cringe? Both. A little bit. That's the thing is sometimes like bad movies are fun and sometimes they're just like, they're just a drag. You're, you're embarrassed like that you're watching it. Even though, <laughs> yeah. Even though you know you're watching it like to laugh at it. Yeah. But you're still like, I hope nobody sees me doing this. Um, number seven, House of the Dead. Who made this movie? You have a bowl, I think, right? How do you know this? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? Uh, Number eight, Son of the Mask. Here's the thing. If I haven't seen a movie, there's a good chance I've read a lot about it or or I've, I've looked at enough lists or wikipedia articles to like be very 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 casually aware of of certain things yeah 
But uh, it's one thing to be casually aware. It's another thing to remember a director's name. Well, the, you, like, have, you have a bowl. One is is easy to remember for me because for a long time, I didn't know how to pronounce his name because he's German. So it's spelled U-W-E, but it's pronounced Uva. Um, He has also like only directed movies that have like horribly low ratings. And I think he like did like I had like a boxing match with like film critics or something like that. <laughs> uh, now I'm intrigued. Now we've got to do like a whole like yes, crit- film church radio series where we watch these movies. It was, and it was them. called uh, Raging Bowl because his last name is B-O-L-L. Where he he ah did interesting matches with with various critics. Yeah. Movies. Okay, number eight is Son of the Mask. I've not seen it. Which I, I'm I, assuming does not have Jim Carrey in no, it. No, I think it's got Jamie Kennedy. Yes. Um, and then. Number nine, epic movie from two thousand seven. I never saw any of those, uh, like Freebird and Seltzer parody movies. Yeah, wait, did you see Scary Movie? Yeah, Scary, those, yeah. Scary Movie and Scary Movie Two are great. <laughs> I think I saw like Vampires Suck, <laughs> <laughs> which was like the Twilight yeah, parody. Yeah, yeah. And then number ten is uh, Rodhi. I guess is how you say it. What is it? R A D H E 2021 TV movie. This must be new to the list, apparently. From 2021? Hmm. 1.9. It's a Hindi movie. Yeah. Yeah, so that's IMDb. I mean, there's a there's a huge list of lowest rated movie. I mean, there's a top or a, a low 100 lowest rated movies no uh, uh, I was just looking at, at this Roddy film and um, and, and I, I saw the sentence saying that the uh, the performance the lead performances were praised by critics and audiences and so I was like oh so maybe it wasn't but then I saw uh, it's one of the worst Indian films of 2021 so I guess the I was going to say uh, maybe the um the low ratings were like an astroturfing campaign because I saw that the performances were praised, but I guess the movie sucks. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of similarities. If you look at the lowest rated films on Letterboxd mm-hmm. are Epic Movie and Son of the Mask. Okay. Those are like the only two. What are some of the others on there? The others on here, um, the, well, the lowest three are Dragon Ball Evolution, 365 Days, and The Last Airbender. Um, which I get the last. Have you ever? Have you seen? The, have you seen the show, Avatar: The Last Airbender? Yes, I have. Um, Did you see the movie? I, I have not seen the film. Um, I I didn't grow up watching Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Only watched it for the first time as an adult during COVID lockdown. Yeah. And I thought it was good, but I 
like I'll probably never watch it again. <laughs> like I yeah. would not say I was a fan of it. I have no. I uh, I actually I like M Night Shyamalan. I have no interest in watching the the film. From what I from what I understand, he might not have had much interest in making it, but um, that he made it for his kids. Often a mistake, but not always. Um, uh, but Dragon Ball is another one where I feel like those low ratings are completely driven by the fans of the television shows. Oh yeah. Like, if you're just a casual moviegoer, you might not know that this movie sucks because... Because it's not true to the show. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, um, James Cameron's Saving Christmas is also one of the lowest rated movies on I, on uh, Letterboxd. Okay. And Cats. Actually, James Cameron's Saving Christmas is directly below Cats. Cats is better. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. Yeah, what did I say? You said James Cameron. <laughs> However, I would like to see James. <laughs> you like to see James Cameron James saving Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. That would be uh, <laughs> who did it better? <laughs> who who saved Christmas harder? Uh, <laughs> we'll never know. Unless James Cameron does it. Uh, yeah. We need you to save Christmas, Jim. Um, yeah, Home Alone 4. Mm, some of those movies don't count. Mean Girls 2. Like, who seen that? <laughs> People on... Uh, oh, wow, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is one of the lowest rated films on here. I was looking forward to that. Uh, that came out this year. Yes, it did. Dang, that was a that was a good idea. Oh, actually, somebody I know um, from Alamo Draft House rated it five stars. <laughs> he said, uh, "Randall Patty. Um, he's got a YouTube show um, and works at Alamo Draft House." Well, uh, you'll you'll have to uh, you'll have to pick it for Film Church, and you and Lewis can decide. Yeah. Who's right? Randall or everyone else on Letterboxd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he said, makes no sense and hella fun. I really wanted to hate this movie, but I just can't. It's, it's too ridiculous, and I love the gore. Best Winnie the Pooh movie I've ever seen. Nice. Titanic 2? I see that. Wow. There's a Titanic 2? Yeah. Uh, Jim Cameron was not involved. I'm sure. Now, Battlefield Battlefield Earth is a famous bad movie that I love and enjoy watching. Oh, really? Yeah. You like that movie? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, John Travolta. Hmm. Yeah, it's a Scientology movie. Oh, really? Yeah. It was. It's based on a novel by uh, L. Ron Hubbard, the creator of Scientology. More religious propaganda. Mm-hmm. Let's see like, what's better, Battlefield Earth or Fireproof. Oh, Battlefield Earth! Battlefield, <laughs> Battlefield Earth is so like schlocky and and has like very campy performances. And I think about like eighty percent of the movie is uh, Dutch angles. It's just like 
there's like whole scenes where like every shot is a Dutch angle. <laughs> nice. It's very fun. It's like uh, um, Batman 1966 Dutch angles. Yes, the uh, the villains are always in Dutch angles in that, right? Yeah, there's just so much Dutch angle in that movie. The director of Battlefield Earth, since I did so much Oscar trivia in this episode, uh, the director of Battlefield Earth is an Oscar winner because he was one of the original production designers on Star Wars. Oh, wow. The original Star Wars. You know who isn't an Oscar winner? Kirk Cameron. And George Lucas. That's true. George Lucas <laughs> is not an Oscar winner. He does have a uh, uh, the Irving G. Thalberg Award from the Academy, which is given to producers. It's like an honorary award for producers, but it's not an Oscar statue. It's like just some guy's head. Irving Thalberg. It's it's a bust of Irving Thalberg's head. Love that guy. I don't know take, who that is. Taken too soon. He was an early Hollywood mogul. Oh. He did. He died like very. He was like thirty-five or something when he died. Oh wow! Yeah. So George does have that. Yeah, and also billions of dollars. <laughs> that was actually is one of my favorite gags. Is when they were uh, when George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg were presenting the Best Director Oscar, and uh, they they like both say something about like, of course we all have Oscars, and George is like. I don't know. I think sometimes being nominated is just as just as good. And they're like, yeah. no, or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it, it was Scorsese, Coppola, and Lucas, right? And they were... Scorsese won that year. Oh, but okay. It yeah. was, everyone knew he was going to win. So yeah, yeah. had his old friends come out to present it. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. That is pretty dope. What what is Puppet Master doing down here? Puppet Master: The Legacy, two thousand three. Okay, that's why. <laughs> Not the original. I, well, I like those movies. I don't think I've seen this one. Uh, the Grinch, the musical. Where do these movies come from? <laughs> Doctor Seuss's The Grinch, the musical, twenty twenty. This can't be like a. No, that was like a, actual... that was like a TV special. Yeah, and I think it was like because they were doing that. They were doing a lot of those, like live TV musicals. So it was probably one of those. I've not seen it. Well, um, any more trash talking? You want to do? No, uh, and. I hate to think of what we did as trash talking. <laughs> Blasphemy, sacrilege. You know, at the end of the day, we're just people who have watched movies and some of them we didn't like. <laughs> and and I think that it's good to get that hater energy out of you. Yeah, sometimes. so because, that you can appreciate things. Because honestly, more often than not, I like most of the movies I watch. Yeah. And when I don't like a movie that I watch, I almost always forget about it. Yeah. Um, 
Well, now you can never forget. No, I never will. <laughs> I'll never forget about the liver damage caused by the Big Mac. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> you want me to cut that out? For the two people listening still. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. You know, that that's all. We, we just had a few things to say. Yeah. <laughs> just a, three. I, I, three. I, I'm very sorry uh, that you have to edit. <laughs> edit all of this? Yes. It's okay. I've got a few weeks. Okay. To, to do. I'll do it in pieces. <clears throat> um, but thank you for coming on the show thank you, thank thank you for you. uh for filling in and uh giving us a little buffer room to to help lewis out and uh yeah it's been fun i think i think he might be jealous because i like you know we joked around earlier that lewis is our priest and you know since he's gone we can kind of trash talk cinema a little bit but I think he's he's got a few films that he can uh, <laughs> he, he can talk some trash about. Oh yeah. Um. So we might have to do an episode with him at some point where he rips some films apart. You know, one of the films I was going to talk about, but I was like, ah, I, I don't hate it enough. It's Psycho. <laughs> from 1998 directed, oh. directed by Gus Van Sant yeah starring, I thought you were talking about the original yeah. and, and Anna Hage <laughs> rest in peace Anna Hage but yeah talk about a pointless movie I don't I don't hate it enough <laughs> to do a whole yeah, but it, but it was a it was film. a potential it was a it was on my yeah my uh, rough my first rough draft of my list yeah nice I also just wanted. To, I wonder wanted if Lewis. I I feel like I've asked him if he's seen it, but I can't remember. It's it's kind of just a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, it's not a waste of time listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah, um, I I obviously don't participate. Uh, every week, but I love listening to you guys. So I'm um, eager uh, to get Lewis back uh, on the show um, because I I like hearing you guys have conversations and we're planning uh, a conversation together uh, hopefully in a few weeks. And I'm really looking forward to that when that happens. Yeah, you can actually go ahead and tell people what that movie is that oh. the three of us are going to talk about if you want. Sure. Because Just this tease is the, it. the end. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, Lewis and Brandon asked me to pick a film, and I kind of thought it would be uh, a fun choice since uh, Lewis is moving back to England to pick a film that would sort of uh, be a cross-pollination of American and British uh, so I uh, selected Gosford Park from 2001, directed by Robert Altman, uh, which is a mostly British film, except 
Robert Altman is the director, producer and director of the film, and he's an American. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I knew that, uh, I don't think, Brit, I think you've never seen it before, right? No. Yeah. I think I knew that. And I I, I want to say, I think Lewis said he's seen it when it first came out. Um, so I thought it would be, a, just a, that would be a fun movie to talk about with Lewis's move um, and to get some Altman on the show. Uh, yeah. From Altman into your uh, guys's lives because that was actually the first Altman film that I ever saw. So it was my introduction to him as a filmmaker, and now he's one of my favorites. So sweet, yeah. I mean, I had never heard of this film, so yeah, yeah I'm excited to see what it's about and dissect it. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about. Yeah. But that'll be next week. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again, dude. Thank you again for having me. We'll, uh, we'll be back soon. Yeah. See y'all next week. We'll be back in church. <laughs> yes. Doing, uh, yeah, praising film the proper way. That's right. All right. Till next time. Amen. Amen.